It's planting season, and it's not too late to make sure your crops grow up fed and happy. Regardless of your spring crop, Fed and Happy offers a variety of worm-casting solutions in liquid and solid form to supercharge your soil, your yields, and your profitability. For fast, vibrant germination and seedling growth, mix your seed with Fed and Happy's screened granular castings pre-drilling. The Fed and Happy liquid seed treat and extracts offer the ideal mix of soluble solids loaded with living beneficial biology, mycorrhizal fungi, humates, and more. The Fed and Happy small spreadable castings are ideal for fast, easy soil incorporation. The large offer long-term stability and soil growth. But you don't have to figure this out on your own. Just call 833-GO-WORMS to speak with our farm team experts for a fast turnaround on a custom solution for your needs. Fare better against pests, disease, drought, and other potential hazards this season with Fed and Happy Worm Castings. Visit FedandHappy.com for a healthy harvest and any lawn, garden, and tree care needs. Available for pickup and on-farm delivery. That's F-E-D-N-Happy.com. Or call 833-GO-WORMS. Happy planting. Consider Cannabis is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnoses, or treatment recommendations. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Again, that's why I love cannabis so much is because you get casually baked and cannabis allows you to just flow with your thoughts and conversation and connection and community and you really do get to drill down into all of these things. It's time to consider cannabis. I'm your host, Curtis. This is the 32nd episode and I'm excited for today's guest. If you listened to the first episode of this podcast, you may remember how I was at Podcast Movement 18 in Philadelphia. At the time I was on Prozac and Lithium and was miserable. It was there that I met a lady who when we first started talking, I could tell was my people. We all have a tribe out there and for whatever reason since moving to Ohio, I have had an incredibly hard time feeling like I belong. So it was refreshing to meet Joanna Nudine at such a time. And when we spoke about me potentially using cannabis as a replacement for my pharmaceuticals, it felt like a light at the end of the tunnel to my ears. Now let's sit down with Joe and we'll consider cannabis together. All right, Joe, thank you so much for joining us today. Tell us, when was your first experience with cannabis? Well, first of all, Curtis, I'm so happy to hear your voice again. It's been a while and you were one of the very first people when I declared myself a cannabis lifestyle guide that I had a really meaningful connection with and dialogue about medical cannabis. So you were one of my early success stories. And so I love that you've now put together this really thoughtful broadcast on considering cannabis for wellness. Well, thank you so, so much. Congratulations. Doing an outstanding job. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah. Okay. So when was my first experience? Yeah, I can't cannabis? wait to hear the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, first of all, I have to say that I was a complete rule follower and I didn't begin experimenting with cannabis until I was almost 20 years old. Academics and athletics were a huge part of my life. I had a healthy fear of my parents and I was raised in a military style 
upbringing. And then when I went to college, I was on a half athletic, half academic scholarship. So between not wanting to let down my parents and my coaches and my team and the fear of the NCAA random drug testing rule, I just didn't experiment with drugs until after, you know, I quit playing sports. The way I was raised, my parents said, if you get a scholarship to college, we will buy you a car. If you don't, you're on your own, period. We've got five daughters. We can't go around buying everybody cars and buying everybody college. So, you know, when I was in high school, my job was to make good grades and be a great athlete so I could get my school paid for. And so I didn't have time for a bunch of shenanigans, Curtis. I was busy getting myself ready to go to college and it paid off. You know, I got the scholarships. I graduated second in my class. Of course, I was from a small town in West Texas, but still I was salutatorian of my class and was able to get academic and athletic scholarships. And so drugs and experimenting or drinking too much, like none of that really mattered to me. It wasn't important. You know, I played for two years. I fucking hated my coach, to be quite honest. Really? Yes. He was not a, a good man and he didn't treat me and my friends on the team well. Was it just the way he motivated people? Well, this is a collegiate basketball coach who found out that he had some lesbians on his team and he was extremely religious. And he just said that that was unacceptable. And, you know, he was just like, if you want to be on my team, then, you know, you need to change your lifestyle and all of these things. And I just thought that that was crap because I've always believed that we're all God's children and we're all loved. You can't tell me my friends aren't loved because they love women or men or whatever. But that was when I finally, I was just like, okay, done playing basketball, but I was getting a degree in broadcasting. So I became the sports anchor for my collegiate newscast. And then, of course, opened myself up to having more fun and playing. But I noticed really early on that I used cannabis much differently than my friends. You know, they would drink a lot and smoke a lot and just be lethargic and worthless and gross to me. And because of my background and, you know, I'm a doer. I mean, my life's phrase is do it or don't, but do. I love and that. So, you know, you know, you you take too much cannabis, you take drink too much alcohol, you do anything in excess and you really lose that motivation of doing anything. So I tiptoed into cannabis and have been a microdoser since before we even knew what microdosing was. Really? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. It was nice as the internet came about. And, you know, I was in college in the mid to late 90s. And so, you know, I got an email address my senior year in college. Yeah. You know, it was all early on stuff. So you didn't have this well to dip into to get information. You just kind of experimented and figured it out as you went along. Do you remember anything about the very first time? I think the very first time I was in the parking lot of the Cheyenne Cattle Company in Wichita Falls, Texas, about to go in and, you know, go to the bar, get in underage, use my fake ID. Thank you, sister, for giving me that. <laughs> <laughs> I had really short hair and my sister, three years older than me, had really long hair in the ID and so we look enough alike. Somebody just, would, they would think I just cut my hair. You know, I was with some guy that I was dating and some of our friends and, 
you know, they all consumed regularly. I just hadn't done it, but it was just kind of that, all right, I'm not playing sports anymore. And I felt safe with those people. And, you know, it just didn't really seem like a big deal. I mean, because I grew up around cannabis, even though my dad and my stepmom, it was not a part of that household. I grew up in a blended family starting at three years old. So when I was with my other family, it was there. It was around. It wasn't offered to me. I wasn't talked to about it, but I certainly knew what that smell was. I certainly saw how people acted and changed, and it was never something I was afraid of. I mean, what scared me was when people drank too much. There was alcoholism in my family as well, and for me, I was like, okay, Cannabis makes people light and happy and they have a good time and they take me to Chuck E. Cheese pizza and alcohol makes people mean and get in fights at bars and just, and yes, I was a child in a bar. It was, I've had, I have some interesting stories. I won't share them all. My family would be mortified. When you tried it, were you sold on it that this is going to be part of your lifestyle? or were you? Well, I mean, it's one of those things when you're in college, you're not really thoughtful and conscious and in your body. So, you know, I consumed cannabis. I went into a bar and there's lights and there's dancing and there's, you know, cute boys and there's beer. And I have no idea what I felt. You know, it was just one of those things. It was just part of an evening, part of an experience, which now as a cannabis lifestyle guide, that's one of the things that is so important. Your set and setting is crucial. But, you know, when we're young and we're experimenting, those things don't occur to us. This went on, I mean, you know, just the rest of my college experience. But I also, again, you know, the microdosing before we even know it, it, it's a thing. You know, you're in a big circle and everybody's smoking a giant blunt. And I would smoke until I'd had my fill. And then you just pass. You don't have to keep smoking. And I would watch people where I'm like, they are so effed up right now. And why are they continuing to smoke? And why did they just take that shot of SoCo? Like, this is crazy. But again, I always have been this, you know, I want to be in control of my situation. I want to, you know, be somebody who can handle business, be the person that can take care of a situation. That's just my personality. So I always was the most, for the most part, there are some times where, you know, I've fell off the wagon and was quite terribly inebriated and had to be taken care of myself. But for the most part, you know, I was that person that had kept my shit together and it helped me be a more creative writer and storyteller. And also once I did recognize the set and setting piece, being able to have these thoughtful moments with myself of considering something that had happened and trying to work through that. You know, I tell people all the time, if you meditate with cannabis, you spend time alone with cannabis, you really can have an excellent therapy session in your head. And, you know, you don't have to involve anyone else in this processing if you don't want to. Because a lot of people talk therapy scares them. Being vulnerable and sharing their story scares them. Well, the first thing to do then is to share that story with yourself. Like, higher self to ego to who I am in this meat suit, having this internal dialogue and working through it. And, you know, once you do get more comfortable with the story and who you are and how you fit into it and how you fit into the world and your community, 
then you can turn around and be more of service or, you know, have that bigger dialogue or get those questions answered or whatever. So cannabis is definitely a great tool for that. You can really tackle a lot of things that have been built up as monumental challenges for yourself. And they just kind of shrink down into this little piece of nothing that you just can kind of talk about and move past. It's, it's interesting. I'm a writer and I write very personal things. I was the feature editor of my college newspaper and my friends would always laugh and make fun of me because I would talk about my relationships or dating or, you know, different things in this public forum, so to speak. So what I learned from someone else was that, you know, when you can tell your story and no longer feel those emotions that come up around it, and it truly is just a story, that's when you've really had all of your therapy and moved all the way through it. So my rule now is, you know, if I'm writing something, and a lot of times writing is therapy for me, you write and write and write, maybe crying your eyes out while you're writing it, and then you read it, and it makes your heart burst open again, or you makes your throat feel like it's on fire. And I just, I write it, and then I read it, and then I read it, and read it, and read it, until when I can finally just read it as a story. And when it's just a story, and my emotions are not attached to it anymore, I've moved my emotions around it, then I'll share it with the world. Because if you write something and put it out in the world, you have to be prepared to talk about it. How long was it from your first experience before you realized you wanted to be a cannabis lifestyle guide? Oh, gosh. Yeah, that didn't happen until my midlife retirement. Oh, okay. I don't recall ever having the don't do drugs conversation with my parents, but I grew up when D.A.R.E. was in full effect. So I constantly was getting those messages at school and watching television. And, you know, there was a shit ton of money poured into the war on drugs and these ad campaigns. And so... I used cannabis under the radar for years and years and years. I mean, as of now, I've consumed cannabis regularly for 23 years. And you never had any problems with that interfering with works or anything like no, that? No, I mean, I'm, I'm a creative. I'm in marketing and storytelling for brands. And I would go to work high every single day. And that was the thing that really bothered me was that I'm doing great work, but I'm having to hide who I am or I have to go home at lunch to smoke again or, you know, go to my car or to, you know, try to sneak around somewhere. And it just seemed ridiculous to me because I wake up with a baseline level of anxiety that feels higher than most people. Although everybody probably thinks they wake up with a shit ton of anxiety, which we probably do. So for me, dealing with the anxiety, dealing with obsessive compulsive tendencies on my part. And, you know, and that's something that I don't know if it's partly nature, partly nurture. You know, when you grow up in an environment where you have that kind of military style raising where, you know, you set your clothes out before you go to bed, everything in your closet is ironed. Everything has a place. You use it, you put it up. You wake up at six o'clock. These are all the chores that you do before you get in the car. You eat breakfast at seven. Like, you know, so that created some bit of OCD in me, which now, you know, when I go to some people's houses, I'm like, thank God I have OCD, you know, because I have a nice space for people to come into. Things are mostly presentable, but 
it can also keep me from getting work done and it can also keep me from being productive if I see a mess or if things aren't lined up or if labels aren't facing the right direction. Mm -hmm. You know, all of these things can send me into a tailspin. So if I'm high, I don't fucking care. It doesn't matter that there's a mess of papers on my desk and that all of the corners aren't neat and tidy, you know? And so I would just do what I had to do to be casually baked and be at work. And, you know, I called myself a functional stoner forever. And that's where casually baked comes from. Because I'm like, okay, nobody really, really is ever going to embrace the stoner. It's just not going to happen. That's... You know, the war on drugs, you know, painted that picture of the stoner. Yeah. And so I had to figure out a way to put a positive spin and perspective on being functionally high. And so that's where Casually Baked was born. Have you had an experience with anxiety and depression your whole life? Or is it something that kind of came on later in life? Oh, no. I, I mean, it was... It wasn't something I addressed until I was in college and in my 20s. I ended up on anxiety medicine. I was on muscle relaxers. I was on sleeping pills. I took Ambien. And I medicated with a lot of alcohol. I drank a ton. And I experimented with a lot of drugs. And it just wasn't healthy. I mean, I look at pictures of myself in my 20s, and I'm just like shocked at this person that I see, I'm like, I see I'm hidden in there somewhere, but you know, I just can't see myself. I started doing talk therapy in my, I guess I was probably 27 or 28 when I made a commitment once a week for the entire year, I went to therapy and I had this amazing doctor. I can't even remember her last name. Her first name's Dana. She just had me call her Dana. And this is in 2000 sometime. And, you know, I'm learning about tapping and I'm, you know, learning all these different techniques for dealing with my anxiety and dealing with past traumas and things like that without medication. And so while I was with her, I started titrating down off of all of these pills that I was on. And her giving me actual tools to use in having conversations with people. So I was in a relationship at that time with someone who hated their job. They hated their job so much. And when they came home from work, she taught me this term word vomit. Someone coming home and word vomiting all over me. And she's like, that's not fair. That's not, you know, you don't have to put up with that. You don't have to take that. So it was like teaching my partner at the time, like, hey, when you come home from work, five minutes, you have five minutes to vent about your boss, your day, whatever this thing was, I'll give you five minutes. And then after that, we move on and we let it go and we enjoy our time together. And so that relationship didn't last because this person couldn't do that, but I learned to do that. And so by the time I was 30, I was off of all of the Western meds that I had been on and had numbed me. And I was having great relationships and exploring different things. And cannabis was the thing that kind of stayed with me the whole time. I still drank quite a bit. By the time I was in my 30s, you know, I still played with harder drugs. 
I ran around a lot in the event and music scene and I had a couple of near misses, a couple of almost Heath Ledger moments, if you will, and really had to take a step back and figure out what I was masking, what was going on with that, why I was doing that. And so today I'm someone who strictly uses cannabis. I don't use other drugs. I am working on an experiment to see how microdosing psilocybin might fit into my life, but I rarely even drink anymore. I rarely even drink alcohol. I'm very into making mocktails. There's technology now within the cannabis space where they're able to make the active ingredients water-soluble. So you can have a drink with your friends and they may be drinking alcohol, but I'm drinking five milligrams of CBD and five milligrams of THC and I feel great when I wake up the next morning. Yeah. So, you know, it was a journey and it is a journey. It's always a fucking journey, right? It's just that maturing and making the moments to understand myself, listen to myself, reflect, find a better perspective. And cannabis has been my co-pilot for 23 years of that. So it wasn't until after I talked to you that I started getting immersed back into the culture a little bit. And it's been interesting to see how many people just believe it is the cure to all that ails you. But that's part of the problem. I was going to ask how you navigate that. How do you talk to people that are yeah. off base a little? Cannabis can do so much. And there's so much that we're still learning. And if you were to write down all of the things that cannabis helps you with on a piece of paper, you would cover the whole piece of paper. And when you show someone that who's used to the Western mentality, then they're like, okay, this is bullshit. You can't do all of those things. And so for me, one of the things that I like to do is if you're considering cannabis, if you're asking me these questions, my question back is, what is your motivation? So if you tell me why you're considering cannabis, then we can approach this magnificent plant from that perspective because it does do so much and you can't just rattle off a laundry list of, you know, it's an anti-inflammatory. It can shrink tumors. It can moisturize your skin. It can dry your skin out. Somebody's like, how does it do that? There are flavonoids, terpenoids, cannabinoids, and they all have all of these different qualities. So when you can figure out your why, why you want to use it, then you can figure out which terpenes are best for me, which cannabinoids are best for me, and you know, which method of consumption is best for me. And then you start creating your own personal relationship with the plant based on what you need. And so I really try not to even have that big over-the-top conversation about cannabis because frankly, trying to have that conversation gives me anxiety. So for me, I'm like, let's have the conversation personally around you and what you're looking for. I don't know if you know what's going on in Ohio here, but we have recently rolled out a medical program that has been heavily criticized. And it does seem quite a bit like it was rolled out in a hurry so that a select few people mm -hmm. could really get a corner on the market and uh, make a lot of money. Capitalism, it's what this country's built on. The medical program rolled out here in 1998. I was graduated from college that year in Texas, but I was here. I was part of all of the Proposition 64, you know, awareness campaigns and getting people out and doing my part. And I did get to vote legal cannabis into law as a California citizen. 
What do you think that Ohio patients should expect from a new infant program as it grows? There's lots of things that are being, uh, wrinkles being ironed out with product on the shelf and things mm-hmm. that spoiled and needed to be recalled. And what do you think we should expect to see in the next couple of years? Well, I really expect everyone, wherever they are, to expect to get out whatever they're willing to put in. So you can't sit back in Ohio and just complain about what's happening in your market, you know, what's happening with the testing facilities and the certificates of analysis and the fact that there aren't enough brick and mortar dispensaries or delivery services. It's your responsibility as a citizen of that state to rattle cages, get out, make your voice heard, run for city council, do your part to make sure that you have a program that you can be proud of and a program that's really going to serve patients and not just people's pocketbooks, not just, you know, the medmens of the world or whoever that's going to come in. And, you know, because if you think about these states that have a mature cannabis market, they are dialed in and figuring out what their next move is. They're playing chess. They're looking at the United States of America map, and they're like, what states do we move into? So if you're a local person and you're wanting to make an impact in your community and turn it into a business for yourself, you better get your shit together because otherwise somebody else is going to come in and just gobble you up. It's just, that's just the way it's going to work. So I really have a issue with people that complain about stuff and never do anything about it. And, you know, we all have those friends that they're constantly complaining about their job or their husband or their neighbor or whatever. And after hearing a story like that a few times, I finally have to say, listen, if you're not willing to do anything about it, I'm not willing to listen to this shit anymore. So to me, the answer is to get involved. Don't just show up to the event and be there and listen. Talk to people, network, see what they're doing, see what the state's doing, see what the different groups are doing, and then you figure out where you can add to that. For me, you know, I've been in California for five years now, and when I got here, my first gig, I mean, I choose where I want to live, and then I figure out what my life is going to be like after that. So I showed up sleeping on someone's couch trimming pot to make money and to figure out what was going on. And I'm a social butterfly, so I was able to meet people and see what was happening. I went to a bunch of different, you know, dispensaries. I got, you know, I got my medical card, went to a bunch of dispensaries, started going to the conferences, and I noticed all these people are starting labs or an edibles company or they want to open a dispensary, but I didn't see anyone providing quality education for people onboarding into this lifestyle. And the stigma is so huge that to me, it just felt like the thing I could offer that felt normal and and joyful and that I felt qualified to do was to be a voice of reason and, and provide education to showcase my cannabis for wellness lifestyle. And, you know, I have a degree in broadcasting. And so, you know, I created an educational kit and started doing these one-on-one cannabis lifestyle sessions, doing personal shopping with people, helping them get their medical card. 
But then I was like, okay, Joanna, you're, this one-off stuff is not going to move the needle. Like you need a megaphone. And so that's when I started podcasting. Well, I certainly am glad you did. <laughs> so for our listeners, okay, your podcast is Casually Baked. What's the first episode they should go listen to after they're done with this one, of course? I consider Casually Baked home base for the can of curious. And I don't know that there is one specific episode I would send someone to. What I would invite you to do is either go to casuallybaked.com and go to the podcast page and in the top search bar, type in that word that you're looking for. Maybe it's diabetes. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's sleep. Maybe it's nutrition. Type that word in and see what shows pop up. I mean, I've got over 110 episodes out in the world. I mean, I've been doing this weekly for quite a while. And so I can tell you that there are some episodes in the beginning that are great content, but I was still figuring out how to do this. And so the quality is not to my liking. So, you know, I, I, I think that's what I would tell people to do. That's fair. Because we're all precious snowflakes and we all want and need to hear something different. That is very true. We all definitely go into our day-to-day -day with our own bias and perspective of everything, what we need yeah. and what we think we need, right? Well, and like, for example, my last episode is about dry farming cannabis. And, you know, I'm a country girl from West Texas. My dad dry farmed watermelons one year, much to my and my sister's dismay. And I realized like, oh, we could potentially dry farm hemp out at the ranch. And so I found these amazing farmers who invited me out for a show and tell. Well, somebody that lives in Chicago is, you know, they may be like, who the fuck cares about dry farming? Not every episode is going to be for every person, but I will guarantee every person will learn something on every episode. You've had some really good guests that I couldn't personally tell one episode for them to go listen to, but the older episodes, I love them just as much as the newer well, ones. Well, thank you so for saying that. <laughs> don't beat yourself up on your perfectionism. Believe me, I I started listening to my old episodes of Consider Cannabis, like my first episode, thinking, oh, I'm, I should listen to this and then write like a blog about it. And I had to turn it off. I was like, nope, I can't even hear it. Yeah, I've had those moments myself. You said you grew up in a military family, very dare-oriented sort of culture. How are their opinions about what you're doing now? Well, I'll preface by saying my parents were not in the military. Their parents were in the military. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I must have missed. No, that's okay. So they raised their children the way they were raised, for better or worse. Gotcha. But, you know, I have to say, me and my sisters have thrown my parents some serious curveballs, and they're great. I mean... They're my biggest fans, my greatest supporters. My dad listens to every one of my episodes. He'll send me text messages and tell me that was really great or I learned something or, you know, just very encouraging. My mom, my real mom, she loves that I've started doing the video podcast because she just misses seeing my face so much. And so she will call me or text me and laugh. I share a lot of stuff on these shows. Like I really pull back the curtain on my life and my experiences. And there are things that a lot of people wouldn't want their parents to hear or know. And so, you know, I got to give it to them. My parents are really great. That's awesome. Yeah. 
With all the information and misinformation available online, where do you go when you want to learn something about cannabis? You know, as a cannabis consumer in the United States, I really like Leafly um, as my one-stop shopping if I'm finding a dispensary or looking for products when I'm traveling or, you know, if I'm wanting to compare strains and see how something will potentially make me feel because this is all crowdsourced data. So, People are smoking this flower and then writing down the effects and it's all crowdsourced. And so you have a general idea of how the flowers are. You get to see what the terpenes, cannabinoids, that sort of thing are. Now, Leafly, I think they consider themselves the largest cannabis website in the world. I'm not sure if that's true, but they have over 15 million monthly visitors and 40 million page views. So that's a lot of crowdsourced data. So I really like using that website. Also, I really trust the reporting from their team. They put out a lot of really great content. So I believe it was David Downs, who he used to be a reporter, but, you know, he broke the Cushy Punch story, which was the cannabis company here in California who was anything that didn't pass with the flying colors on the certificate of analysis, they were sending off and still making their products and selling them on the black market. Information like that's really important for consumers to get a hold of. So, you know, of course, listen, listen to Casually Bake the Podcast, but, you know, utilize a source like Leafly.com. As a cannabis industry professional, I really like New Frontier Data. That's where I go to get that really nice big picture view of what's happening in the industry, whether it's with CBD or hemp or different methods of consumption or how different states are performing or, you know, what products are performing well. They have this thing called the Cannabit newsletter, and it basically like gives you Scooby snacks of data that helps me when I'm creating storylines for my show. Like, what do people need to hear? What's going on? You know, if you want to do the deep dive, you have to pay for this research. But for the big kind of overall view, I think that's great as a cannabis professional. And then today is Canada's one-year anniversary of legalizing cannabis, adult use. And so when I've been spending a lot of time in Canada. I've started a production company there where I'm going to be shooting Casually Baked. I'm turning Casually Baked, the podcast, into a TV series. That's exciting. Yeah. So I've been working on that there and spending a lot of time in Canada. And they have a company. It's called Lift & Co., and so that's kind of like the Leafly of Canada. And it really is a solid resource for consumers. You know, they consider themselves the quote unquote trip advisor for cannabis. So it's that same idea of, you know, discovering cannabis products and producers and retailers. All the content is sourced through real user reviews. And these users, they opt in to that experience. So you know you're getting real information from people that care about sharing it. They have some sort of rewards program. You know, you scan and send your receipt and you get points or gift cards or, you know, whatever. And so I think as a community, as a cannabis community, we want and need to be able to lean on each other. And so, you know, both Leafly and Lift & Co. create that, you know, that cannabis community where we can support each other and discover new things. I first heard the term highly responsible on Casually Baked the Podcast. What does it mean to you and how do you live it out? Highly responsible is something that I made up to explain the way that I use cannabis. 
So for me, it's the act of honoring body, mind, soul, and relationships in regards to personal cannabis consumption. And that was one of the things when I met you and we were talking and I was telling you, like, you're wanting to do it for all the right reasons. You're questioning how it will affect your wife and your children and your community and how you know, you'll be received at your church and all of these things. And I'm like, those are highly responsible questions. You know, that's how you know that you're, you're being thoughtful and conscious with your consumption. And that's to me what it's all about. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, what's really going to make the plant successful for you and your health and wellness is asking those tough questions, being open to receiving feedback from people on how you're using it and how they see it affecting you. You know, if my wife is not seeing it make a positive improvement on my health and wellness, yeah. then she's going to be like, I think we're kind of wasting our money. Right, right. You got to be open to hearing those things because there is biodiversity and you can look at those reviews on Leafly and you might have that exact same effect happen for you with that strain, but it might be a little bit different. Yeah. And I just think being aware of those things mm -hmm. definitely is important for it to be a successful uh, medication yeah. for you and that actually that would segue into um my next question of something you wish you would have known yeah. earlier yeah so i'm a huge proponent of genetic testing and you know i always say that we're precious snowflakes and we all have a unique relationship with the plant but you don't really know until you get that roadmap and so it is possible to learn precisely how cannabis interacts with your body. It is possible to get a personalized wellness roadmap. You know, we we live in an amazing time where technology and, and science are creating the space for us to live our best and healthiest lives. People in my family live to be in their mid to late 90s. I had some people in my family, 104, 106. And I feel confident my number is 127. I mean, we may not want to be here when I'm 127, but I feel confident I can make it to 127. And not living that shitty life of all of the aches and pains and your body falling apart little by little. And, you know, my dad and my stepmom say all the time, it is hell getting old, Joanna. It is hell getting old. And I'm like, you know what? I refuse to accept that. I refuse. So I went and had my genetics tested. I have the propensity from viewing my family to get dementia and Alzheimer's. And for somebody who lives this loud, out, proud, explorative life the way I do, the thought of losing my memories is the worst thing I could think of. So I worked with an epigenetic coach and, you know, these specialized coaches can see what risk factors you possess and help you tailor a health and lifestyle program to maximize the potential of your genetic code. Because I may have the genes for these things, but I, through diet, exercise, you know, the supplements, the things I put in my body, I can change how they express. So I found out that I do have two of the three genes associated with memory loss, dementia, Alzheimer's. I have all of the genes for inflammation. 
which again is a huge culprit in our health, in the demise of our health, I should say. And I also had an endocannabinoid panel run. So I know that I metabolize THC faster than most people. It's in and out of my system faster than most people. I have fewer CB1 receptors in my brain. So the psychoactivity that a lot of people feel when they get high doesn't affect me the same. So, you know, somebody's edible dose might be five milligrams or 10 milligrams, mine's 25 milligrams. So it helped me dial in how I used the plant for maximum efficiency. And, you know, I now take supplements to feed my brain. I cut out all of the bad oils, you know, sugar's the devil. You know, and that's the other thing. In the edibles market, when I started out, when I first moved here, you could find cookies or brownies. It was just everything packed with sugar. And I'm like, how can this super healthy plant be surrounded by such toxic shit? And that's the only time we would eat it. You know, you try to eat healthy, but when it comes to an edible, you throw all of that out the window. So I have been loud about creating cannabis products with low to no sugar. And in California now, we've got some really great brands rolling out edibles and drinkables that do fit into my healthy lifestyle. You know, and that's something that I probably wouldn't have even thought about had I not been playing the long game, looking at my past, watching my parents' age, looking to my future, knowing I don't want to age that way, and making the decision that cannabis was going to be an integral part of that. But I also had to keep in mind when I was getting this genetic testing done, I didn't necessarily know if cannabis was going to be good for me because cannabis isn't necessarily the best for everybody. You know, some people have the propensity to develop mental illness or schizophrenia or something like that. And I don't have that gene. That's not something that I need to worry about. But it's certainly something that I encourage parents to have done for their children because teens are like grown folks now. When you put a smartphone in a teenager or a preteen's hands, they're fucking grown. They see porn. They see everything they want to see. They can buy vapes online. You, they can go to websites and buy drugs. They can go on the dark web and get whatever they want. And they know how to do it better than we do. So as far as I'm concerned, one of the smartest things that we can do as grownups is if these kids are going to act like grown folks, you hand them the roadmap of their own wellness and you're like, this is your body. This is only yours. I'm not in charge of it. I'm not in control of it. This is your thing. And I want to give you the keys to the castle. Here's your roadmap. If somebody has 8x more chances of developing mental disorder from consuming cannabis as a young person, and they find that out and you tell them, I guarantee you when their friends are trying something, they will stop and think about it. I don't have kids of my own, but I am an Aunt Jojo. I have a lot of littles. I've helped raise people's kids, and I have watched kids lose their shit in those teenage years from using the Juul cigarettes and starting to use cannabis and just, just being irresponsible with their life. And so I'm like, you know, if you can give them a cell phone with all of this information, we can give them their genetic roadmap and let them make smarter choices. Yeah, absolutely. If you can give them information, why wouldn't you? Well, and the other thing too, so let's say we find out that the kid is, they have 
no chances of developing any of those scary things that parents think are going to happen to their kids when they try drugs before they're 20, 21, which is really what should be happening. You know, we need to wait till, you know, our brains, it's like when there were kids and growing up, it's like building a house. It's, you know, the structure's being formed. It's being wired and plumbed and, and all of these things. And if you start messing with that, you know, and changing the way signals are firing, you're creating new pathways that will stay that way. So say a kid finds that we do have their genetics run, they don't have any of those negative things looming. Well, then you as a parent can have peace of mind that if, you know, if your child is going to smoke cannabis, you don't have to lay awake at night thinking that they're going to end up homeless on the street, not remembering who the fuck you are. You know, it can be like, they're a kid doing what I did when I was a kid. We just have more information now. And bless my heart, I have peace of mind. I can go to sleep. Where would you go to get that information? You know, there are quite a few of these ECS genetic tests on the market now. But I'm so into this biohacking thing that I did this long before these companies existed. So I can't vouch for them. I haven't used any of them because I did this a while ago. And in fact, if you listen to Podcast 55, you'll get a summary of how all of this works and that, you know, you'll learn about the company that I used. I went full board. I didn't just get the panel done. I got my sleep, my exercise, my supplements. I got everything tested and then had the sessions with a genetic coach where we were like going through and seeing what needs to be cut out of my diet, what I should add, what supplements, the style of workout, the style of exercise. You know, a lot of people are really into intermittent fasting. So I have a lot of people doing that. And, you know, when you think about it from a scientific perspective and, you know, human development perspective, from an anthropological perspective, you know, cavemen times, they weren't eating three meals a day. You eat when you got food and then you just held on until then. And so it's really trying to reset our bodies back into that mode. Well, I'm a grazer. I eat like a bird a little bit all day long. So the idea of intermittent fasting, I'm just like, I can't do that. I don't want to do that. So, you know, whenever I got my genetics done, I was able to learn that, you know what, what I do for my body works for my body. So every diet fad, every, you know, bandwagon, everybody's, you know, juicing celery. You can't go to a grocery store in California and find organic celery unless you're there like as soon as the produce shows up because all the soccer moms are going in and buying all the celery because that's the hottest new thing. So it's like all these fads and different things. I don't worry about that stuff anymore. I follow my personal roadmap, and my personal roadmap looks nothing like yours. So for me, I think doing something like this is really empowering. You know, you have to be willing to take what you've learned and do something positive with it. But if you do make that decision, you're empowered to live your best life. Joe, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule. I mean, Casually Baked is just taking off. I feel like I'm really lucky to have gotten you on the show before you completely get so busy that you don't have time for little people like me. No, but. I would always do your show anyway. I adore you and I love watching you on your journey and following along. And, you know, I remember when you messaged me and you're like, hey, I think I want to do a cannabis podcast. Is that okay? And I'm like, 
why are you asking me permission? Of course it's okay. You have your own story and it's an amazing story and you have a perspective to share that I love. I absolutely love it. So thank you for doing what you do. Well, I really appreciate that. And you know, the only reason I asked your permission was because I just respected what you were doing so much that I didn't want you to feel like I was just trying to get, I don't know, on the cannabis bandwagon or something, but it was so impactful to my life that I wanted to to do it and be able to step into that chapter knowing that I did not step on anyone's toes was important to me, if that makes sense to you. Absolutely. I totally appreciate it. And, you know, for me, it's like, Curtis, you're one of my success stories. So I love it. Awesome. Well, I'm happy to be a success story of yours. Is there anything else you'd like to say to our listeners who are considering cannabis today? Yes. You know, if you are considering cannabis, there is one thing that I like to tell everybody as they're coming into this space. There are three keys to having a positive experience with cannabis. Mindfulness, microdosing, and your willingness to experiment. So if you can get all of those things together and come with your why, know why you want to consume cannabis and do it intentionally. That's what that mindfulness piece is. Like, why am I doing this? And microdosing, you're going to find your sweet spot when you start low and you go slow and you listen to your body. And then experimentation, just like when you go to a doctor, say you've been on these antidepressants, you didn't just magically get the right dose the first time. There was some experimentation that had to happen. And your doctor maybe even had you on multiple different kinds of medicines before you found the right one. So, you know, cannabis isn't a panacea. It's an amazing plant. It can do so much for you but you have to bring all of your intention and attention to the space. So if you're willing to do that, you're going to have a great relationship with this plan. Joe, thank you so much. Yeah, certainly. If you would like to be a guest and share how cannabis has impacted your health and wellness, send an email to considercannabisnow at gmail.com. You can also reach us at our website, considercannabisnow.com, where you can find all our previous episodes, as well as links you can follow to our Instagram, Facebook page, and more. If you have found anything of value on this show, please share it with someone else. Remember to subscribe for free and get every new episode delivered right to your phone. Thank you for listening. Join us next time as we consider cannabis together. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your cannabis business podcast, The Talking Hedge, and newest member on PodConX. So come on over and check out The Talking Hedge. We talk about business news, interviews, investments, events, all that stuff. So come nerd out with me over at The Talking Hedge. You can find me at thetalkinghedgepodcast.com or on all your favorite podcast platforms. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't, and I'm out.